The word of God from uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 through 45. But when they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, their unfaithfulness that they practiced against me, and how they acted with hostility toward me, and I acted with hostility toward them and brought them into the land of their enemies. And when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will also remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. For the land abandoned by them will make up for its Sabbaths by lying desolate without the people while they make amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and abhorred my statutes. Yet, in spite of this, while they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject or abhor them so as to destroy them and break my covenant with them, since I am the Lord their God. For their sake, I will remember the covenant with their fathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, to be their God. I am the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Good morning again, church family. <clears throat> it's... Uh, it's almost the end of October, which snuck up on me pretty fast, and it's almost the end of the book of Leviticus. Um, I can't believe it, yeah. Today and then next Sunday, two last sermons in the book of Leviticus. I'm really grateful for many of you who have emailed me or just grabbed me in the hallway after the services and said how something to the effect of, yeah, I used, to, I used to be intimidated by the book of Leviticus, but things are starting to be clearer or more understandable. So I am really grateful for the opportunity to get to teach through Leviticus. Um, I also don't think we quite got it, so we're just going to start over and do it again. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Here's what we're going to do after Leviticus next week. We're going to take three weeks in November, and we're going to go through the very short New Testament letter uh, of Jude. And even though it is short, it is compact. It is like dynamite, just ready to um, explode in a good way. And so you could read ahead and start studying the book of Jude. And then let me just briefly announce what we're doing for Advent, for the, for the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. This is out of my normal wheelhouse. It isn't a book of the Bible or a particular theme. But I've realized over the years, just so I, I'm a, by my original occupation before becoming a pastor, I was a music teacher. And music is one of the absolute number one ways that we as human beings learn. And I am under no illusion, when you leave this afternoon, you probably won't remember any quotes that I said, but I'm hoping you're going to remember, you know, I'll reach the end by grace and grace alone because we just sang it. And every Christmas, we hear these songs and like, like like a drilling machine, they just bore their way into our brains and we remember things. But here's the problem. There is some really bad theology in quite a few Christmas songs. So we're going to do a teaching series that I've affectionately referred to as Sound City Ruins Christmas Carols. Uh, (laughs) And here's the thing. 
We're not going to preach the carol. We're going to look, we're going to use it as a springboard to look at what the Bible actually teaches about the advent of Jesus. And I'm also going to not announce ahead of time which songs we're doing because I want to hear the shocked gasps on a weekly basis. Wait, that song? Yes, that song. And then it's going to come on the radio while you're driving home from church and you're going to feel really awkward and I'm going to love that. So anyways, that's what we're doing. Uh, and then, and then we're going to do something New Testament uh, to kick off the new year. So anyways, um, here's, here's the deal for today. Uh, kind of all jokes aside and kind of getting that out of my system a little bit. I have a weighty passage to preach today, a very heavy uh, passage, in, in, at least in one part. And uh, I was doing some study and I was doing some reading on the subject matter that I'm going to be preaching and teaching on here today. And I came across this quote from Charles Spurgeon, over 160 years ago, he said this quote. He said, my text today has two parts. The first is very agreeable to my mind and gives me pleasure. The second is terrible in the extreme. But since they are both truth, they must be preached. And one of the things about being the kind of church that just says, hey, let's just open up the Bible and let's just read what it says and let's talk about what it says is almost exactly this. There are some of the most beautiful things that I could imagine getting to communicate to you today. And there are some of the most gut-wrenching, awful things that I could imagine having to communicate to you today. So I would appreciate your prayers. And let's bring our hearts before the Lord today so that we can hear what it is that he wants to say to us in this teaching that I've just simply entitled, The Two Pathways. So Lord, we come to you now, grateful that you have given us your word, that we're not guessing or just left in the dark as to how we're to live and what we're to think about you and how we're to understand you. But Lord, you, in your grace, you communicate to us clearly. And Lord, myself, I feel a tremendous weight approaching this passage today. And I ask and I pray that you would be the one that carries the weight. Let every single one of us, Lord, take stock of our lives, the pathways that we're walking to follow you, And Lord, I pray that each and every single one of us would walk away with a greater affection for Jesus, a greater devotion to Jesus as a result of our time today. It's in his name I pray. Everyone said, amen. So many scholars view Leviticus 26 as the summary of the entire book, the the summary of the whole book of Leviticus, uh, in large part because of the very last verse, verse 46. These are the statutes, ordinances, and laws that Yahweh, the Lord, established between himself and the Israelites through Moses on Mount Sinai. It's a summary statement. That's the end of 26. We've done it. We did the sacrifices. We did the priesthood. We did the holiness code. We did sacred time. How many of you are grateful for Rabbi Matt teaching us last week? Great job on that. And here it is. Now here's the kind of the finale. This is everything. It's all been taught. The end. There's only one problem. Leviticus chapter 27. (laughs) One of the commentators, one of the scholars, Roy Gain, he says this. He says, Leviticus 26 provides a dramatic climax to the book of Leviticus, after which the concluding rules of chapter 27 are anticlimactic. So if you are interested in an anticlimactic sermon series finale, make sure you're you're here next week for that. I'm going to show next week how chapter 27 actually really is a fitting end to the book of Leviticus. But for today, I just want us to embrace the idea that Leviticus 26 is kind of the finale of the book. It really is the summary. It really is kind of the final statement to be made. See, the big picture of Leviticus, where we've been so far, the, 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 the Lord saved his people out of slavery in Egypt. He heard their cries. He rescued them. He redeemed them. And he called the people to himself at Mount Sinai. 
And he said, let's establish a covenant. I will be your God. You will worship no other gods. It's going to be a, a monogamous relationship. We're going to, we're going to uh, in effect, put a ring on the finger here. Lord said, I will be your God. You will be my people. You will worship me alone. I will provide for you, protect you, care for you. We will live together in this covenant relationship. And even as we heard last week from our friend Matt, that, that before the Lord had even finished giving the Ten Commandments, before Moses could even walk back down the mountain, the people had already, in, in essence, cheated on the Lord with the golden calf. That there was right from the beginning this idea that this relationship was going to be fraught with unfaithfulness from the people that Yahweh loved. And Yahweh said, no, I'm not, I'm not content to let your unfaithfulness be the last word. I'm not content to, to have my own name uh, spoken ill of among the nations. And so I'm going to draw you back to myself. We are going to live together. And that's what the book of Leviticus is about. So God says, here's the first thing we're going to do. You're going to meet regularly with me. We're going we're gonna to do some meetings. We're going to set up some, some hangout times. You can bring a burnt offering. You can bring a fellowship offering. When you've sinned, you can bring the purification offering. Or when you need to make it right with somebody else, you bring the guilt offering or the reparation offering. We're going to just meet regularly together. And that's what the first 16 chapters were all about, the sacrifices, the, the priesthood who's going to help facilitate these meetings, the, the ritual purity. Like, hey, God is life himself. Don't carry in the skin diseases and the bodily discharges. Don't carry in the residue of death. Don't, don't, don't come into God's house with muddy shoes on. Let's, let's clean up and let's, let's come before the Lord and enjoy these meetings with him. Then God says, okay, but, but I don't want my holiness to just stay here in this tent. I want my holiness to shape who you are. So you're going to be shaped by my holiness. As we meet together, I'm going to shape you and you're going to learn how to live literally every aspect of your life, not just the tabernacle worship, but out there in the camp and, and out there to the very ends of the earth. How many of you know God wants his holiness to be reflected in every aspect of your life? Our money, our time, our food, our clothing, our sexuality, our business practices, our money, all of it belongs to God and is to be lived in accordance with God's ways. And then, okay, now as we do that, God's holiness is going to expand out to the very ends of the earth. Step three is, let's just enjoy it together. Let's, let's, let's enjoy God's presence forever. And that was all the stuff that Rabbi Matt was teaching last week about. And there's all these Sabbaths, there's all these feasts, and there's all these festivals. One thing I was thinking about when Matt was teaching last week with Sukkot, where you set up the tents, the, te the temporary dwellings for a week, I was thinking about how often my kids, all of my children, have always loved to just set up like blanket forts. And it's just kind of like the, the, the sweetest thing. And they just, they'll do it. And they set up blanket forts. And, and it's like God saying, like, let's, let's set up a blanket fort. And let's just hang out together for a week. I just love that idea of just being with God. We just get to enjoy him forever. So come for worship. Be shaped by God. Learn how to live out his holiness. And let's just enjoy life together forever. And now we get to this conclusion where God says, now, here's the arrangement. Here's the agreement. Are you going to keep it? Are you going to keep the covenant or are you going to break the covenant? Are you going to experience the blessings that I desire to pour out on you on this pathway of covenant faithfulness or are you going to wander from the path and experience the consequences of your actions? So the beginning of Leviticus 26, there's a summary statement. God says through Moses, 
Do not make idols for yourselves. Remember, this is a monogamous relationship. It's you guys and it's me. Don't worship any other gods. Don't set up carved images or sacred pillars for yourselves or place a sculpted stone in your land to bow down to it. None of that stuff. Why? Because I'm Yahweh, your Elohim. I'm, I'm Yahweh. That's my name. And I'm the God that you guys worship. No other gods. And the second summary statement is, keep my Sabbath and revere my sanctuary. Why? Again, because I'm the Lord. I'm Yahweh. The Sabbath is about rest, but it's about coming to worship God in the place that he has said. So it's, it's get rid of the other idols and come and be with me. That's the summary statement of Leviticus. Those other idols are death. They're poison. They're no good for you. Come be with me. Now, very common in ancient covenants um, we can find these types of covenants in all sorts of different things. It's not just in the Bible. They're all over the ancient Near Eastern world. Kings would make covenants with people, and, and, and scholars have long noted that the features of Leviticus, the, the covenant here, looks a lot like what would have been just kind of a common sort of covenantal agreement that people would make in the ancient world. And they always come with rewards for faithfulness and consequences for unfaithfulness. So let's look at the rewards, the blessings. Verse 3. If you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commands, I will give you rain at the right time. Uh, I know that Matt said last week, nobody in Seattle prays for rain. How many of you were pretty excited when the rain actually showed up? Because you feel like you could breathe again, all the smoke? Like we dropped like from uh, the worst air quality in planet Earth to like back to our best like we normally enjoy here in the Pacific Northwest. God says, I'm going to give you rain right when you need it. And, and the land is going to yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear fruit. You're threshing, like you're going to be dealing with the grain all the way until the grape harvest. Like it's gonna, you're going to have so much grain, it's going to take you all the way until the grape harvest to, to process it all. And, and, and you're going to continue your grape harvest until it's time to plant more seeds again. And you're going to have plenty of food to eat and you will live securely in this promised land. And I'm going to give peace to the whole land and you're going to lay down at night and nothing will frighten you. I'll get rid of the dangerous animals from the land. No sword, no war, no more war will pass through your land. You're, in fact, you're going to go chase your enemies and they'll fall down in front of you by the sword. Five of you could just take on a hundred and a hundred of you could take on 10,000 and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. If, you, if you're faithful, God says, listen to this in verse nine, I will turn to you, make you fruitful and multiply you. Well, that's an interesting phrase. Where's the first time in the Bible that we hear that fruitful and multiply Genesis, yeah, we're, we're starting to kind of trigger some language that makes us think of Eden here. You will eat the old grain of the previous year. I know some of you guys don't like leftovers, but in this culture, it's like a really good promise. You're gonna have so much extra leftover grain that eventually you're just gonna have to clear out the old grain to make room for the new. I will place my residence among you. I would not reject you. I will, listen to this phrase, Walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. What is, what, again, what is that walking among you? What does that kind of make you think of from previously in the Torah? When God would walk with Adam and Eve in the, in the garden. I'll, I'll walk among you and, 
and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to live in freedom. My goodness, what a promise. Food, peace, good sleep, fruitful families, grapes, wine, and and, and best of all, God just right there. (laughs) Now, this is the part I wish I would just be able to skip over. Because as delightful as that is, there's a different pathway that's described here. And in fact, I'm, I'm going to read every last word. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I invite you, you can read along if you want in your own Bible, but maybe you might even want to just close your eyes and imagine the horror. By the way, well, I'll save that thought for later. Let's just listen to these words. But, verse 14, if you do not obey me and observe my commands, if you reject my statutes and despise my ordinances, if you don't observe all my commands, and if you break my covenant, I will do this to you. I will bring terror on you. Disease and fever that will cause your eyes to fail and your life to to just ebb away. You'll sow your seeds in vain because your enemies will come and eat it. I'll turn against you so that you'll be defeated by your enemies and those who hate you will rule over you and you'll flee, you'll run away even when no one's chasing you. But if after these things you you still will not obey me, I will proceed to discipline you seven times for your sins. I will break down your strong pride. I'll make your sky like iron, your land like bronze, and your strength will just get used up for nothing. Your land will not yield its produce, and the trees of the land will not bear their fruit. And if you act with hostility toward me and are unwilling to obey me, well, I'll multiply your plague seven times for your sins. I will send wild animals against you that will deprive you of your children ravage your livestock and reduce your numbers until your roads are deserted. And if in spite of these things, you still will not accept my discipline but act with hostility toward me, then I will act with hostility toward you and I will strike you seven times for your sins. I'll bring a sword against you to execute the vengeance of the covenant. Though you withdraw into your cities, I'll send a disease among you and you'll be delivered into enemy hands. And when I cut off your supply of bread, 10 women will bake bread in a single oven and ration out that bread by weight so that you'll eat but never be satisfied. And if in spite of this, you still do not obey me but act with hostility toward me, then I will act with furious hostility toward you. And I will discipline you also seven times for your sins. You will... Eat the flesh of your sons and your daughters. I will destroy your high places, those shrines that you use to worship those idols. And I will heap your lifeless bodies on the lifeless bodies of your idols. I will reject you. 
I will reduce your cities to ruins, devastate your sanctuaries. I will not smell the pleasing aroma of your sacrifices like we talked about at the beginning of the book. I will also devastate the land so that even the enemies who come to live there will be appalled by it. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will draw a sword to chase after you and so your land will become desolate and your cities will become ruins. And then... The land will make up for its Sabbath years, the rest that you're supposed to give to the land during the time it lies desolate while you're out in the land of your enemies. At that time, the land will rest and make up for its Sabbaths, and as long as it lies desolate, it will have the rest that it did not have during your Sabbaths when you lived here. And when you go to the lands of your enemies, I'm going to put anxiety in the hearts of those who live there. The sound of a wind-driven leaf will put them to flight and they will flee as one flees from a sword and fall though no one is even pursuing them. They will stumble over one another as if fleeing from a sword though no one's chasing them. You will not be able to stand against your enemies. You will perish among the nations. The land of your enemies will devour you and those who survive in the lands of your enemies will waste away because of their iniquity. They will also waste away because of their father's iniquity with theirs. That's awful. It's one of those passages of the Bible where people like to come along and say, see, Old Testament God's so mean and nasty and New Testament God's all mercy and grace and forgiveness. The only problem with that is that Jesus quotes from these verses in talking about judgments of God. The message of the Bible is consistent from start to finish. There's, there's two pathways. One ends in the blessing of the Lord with him being close, and one ends being separated from the Lord. In fact, Michael Morales says, it's like the scapegoats. It's like the two different goats on the Day of Atonement. You guys remember the Day of Atonement? There were two different goats. One was slaughtered and its blood was brought into the Holy of Holies, where the other one had the sins confessed and it was sent off into the desert for Azazel. Michael Morales says the two paths put here uh, amount to the alternative goats on the Day of Atonement. You either get to go more deeply into the divine presence, into life itself, or further away from God into darkness, chaos, and death. In other words, Israel's ultimate blessing or curse is described in terms of progressive nearness to or progressive estrangement from the divine presence. This progressive nearness or estrangement is dependent upon whether or not Israel pursues the relationship with Yahweh established by the covenant. Now, whenever the Bible talks about the future, very often it's operating at multiple levels. Great example of this would be uh, the prophet for, uh, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7. And we're going to quote this at Christmas time, right? Uh, Emmanuel, God with us, a son will be born, right? Now, if you go read Isaiah chapter 7, this prophecy is given to a specific king, to a specific time. It's going to happen within the next year. It's like a very specific sort of a thing. 
But when you fast forward to the New Testament, the New Testament authors say, yeah, but it was pointing to something bigger. It was pointing to the ultimate Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, so, so when you read Leviticus chapter 26, there's a here and nowness to it for the people of Israel, but there's also something bigger that it's pointing to. When, when Leviticus 26 says fruitful and multiply, when Leviticus 26 says, I will walk with you, this is pointing us, yes, to the here and the now of living in the promised land, but it's actually pointing to nothing less than the restoration of Eden itself. Jay Sklar, who's a scholar we've leaned on through this teaching series, he says the blessings, they're arranged in four groups, beginning with abundant crops, then moving from one blessing to the next until they climax with the promise of the Lord himself dwelling in the Israelites' midst. This is nothing less than a return to Eden. But the curses are arranged into five groups, beginning with fear, disease, and defeat by enemies, then moving from one curse to the next until they climax with starving Israelites eating their own children and being slaughtered by their enemies, dispossessed from their land and loathed by the Lord. This is nothing less than a living hell. The contrast between these sections could not be clearer and serves to emphasize a theme found throughout Scripture the posture that we take before the Lord determines whether we experience blessing or cursing. And although this chapter is focused on that experience in the here and now, it is equally true for our experience in the world to come. One pathway leads closer and closer to the presence of God. And if we could take that to its ultimate conclusion, what would we call that? What's the closest you could possibly be to God? heaven. The other pathway leads further and further and further and further away from God. And if that ultimate conclusion being estranged from God, what do we call that? Hell. Leviticus 26 is inviting us to consider, are we moving closer to God, experiencing his blessings, spending eternity with him, or are we moving on a direction farther away from him in death and fear and estrangement from his presence? The big idea for today is just simply put, the two pathways of Leviticus 26 point us toward eternity. From this chapter, I want to make three points. Three points. The first one is this. The trajectories of both heaven and hell are at work today. We can speak about heaven or we can speak about hell at the end of the age, right? After Christ returns, Those who sleep in the dust of the earth are resurrected, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting shame and contempt. By the way, as a side note, but both eternity in God's presence and eternity estranged from God's presence are resurrected. 
There is a resurrection coming. For both those who accept the covenant of the Lord and those who reject the covenant of the Lord. But heaven's at work right now. Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is coming. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what did he tell them to say? Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on where? Earth, as it is in where? Heaven. Heaven is at work. Heaven is at work right now. Uh, uh, as Myung mentioned when he was praying, we had a team that went to Mexico this last week and they were serving and they were praying for people and they're sharing the gospel. I'm sure in, in very soon, uh, you know, one of the upcoming weeks, we'll get a chance to hear from some of them to talk about the work of heaven coming, crashing into earth. I get to hear messages of, of people in this church loving and serving and caring for one another. I got to hear someone repent of sins this last week. I get to hear of people giving their lives to Jesus. I get to hear of people serving the poor and the needy in our region. Uh, I get to hear of people growing closer and closer and closer to Jesus. I get to hear of people who are walking a pathway through reading the scripture and prayer and gathered worship and the spiritual disciplines like fasting and silence and solitude, that they are coming to know God more and they are growing to be more like God. How many of you are glad that the kingdom of heaven is at work today? And heaven is not just something that we go to when we die. It's not just a place that we go when we die. Heaven is at work right now. And friends, you're invited to get on board. You're invited to, to live your life in such a way, yes, there's still sin in your life, but you walk out this pathway of, of repentance and ongoing transformation to be more like Jesus and to be closer to Jesus tomorrow than you are today. That's awesome. But how many of you know that hell is also at work on earth to this day? I mean, I can kind of jokingly talk about, hey, don't check the news, don't read the news, but it's literally, I, I, I did, I read the news. I didn't listen to my own advice. Just scrolling through it is just one, just one thing after another that sounds like it came right from the second half of Leviticus 26. War, disease, famine, murder, theft, rape, idolatry, all of it is just awful. People sometimes get really touchy when we talk about the idea of heaven and hell. Skeptics in our culture, people who, who don't uh, um, believe in the teachings of the Bible. But go read the front page of CNN or go read the front page of the Drudge Report and you tell me that hell's not at work on planet Earth right now. And left to our own devices, that is a pathway, that is a trajectory that ends in final judgment if not rescued by the kingdom of heaven. So heaven and hell are not just somewhere where we go when we, when we die. It is that, but it's a pathway. It's a trajectory that are at work today. And by the way, there is no neutral. There's no Switzerland you are walking one of these pathways. You are moving on one of these trajectories. You are walking on one of these pathways today. And even those who have tried to convince themselves that, well, I'm just kind of neutral. I don't really know what I think about God. Then you have not chosen the pathway of heaven because Jesus said that road, is, it's really hard to walk on that road. It's a narrow road, he said. 
The second point I want to make from this chapter is that discipline serves to prevent judgment. Did you notice how many times in this passage it, it talked about, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you these consequences. And if you still won't listen to me, we're going to do another round of discipline. I will discipline you seven times. All the while, God is pleading with his covenant people that he loves to stop giving your allegiance to the kingdom of hell, heed my discipline, and get back on the path of life and blessing that I want for you. God leads with, I want to bless you. I want to pour out my abundant favor upon you. And if you will not walk that path, if you will not take it upon yourself, I will use uh, discomfort to get your attention so that you do not end up in ultimate discomfort. See, discipline is different from judgment. Discipline is different from punishment or, or condemnation, right? Even discipline, the way that we use the word discipline, it's important that we think about discipline rightly. One way we can think about discipline is formative discipline, right? It's the idea of building good habits. It's the idea of doing things regularly so that you can become the kind of person that is filled with life and goodness. If so, okay, and by the way, formative discipline isn't really all that pleasant. Like denying yourself. Uh, okay, if somebody gets up early in the morning at 5 a.m., to go exercise. Is that pleasant? This is not a trick question. It is unpleasant. Your alarm clock goes off. You go to the gym. You t- the, it's cold. It's, you don't, your car is cold. And, you're, and then you start exercising. Like, everything hurts, and I feel like I'm dying, and it's just terrible. And then, and then you go to the fridge, and you're like, oh, I see that junk food. I see that delicious, delicious junk food. He said, no, kale and spinach and eggs and egg whites. I'm not even going to eat the yellow part, just the whites. And it's all of this stuff where you intentionally take on discomfort so as to shape yourself to become the kind of person that you want to be and so as to avoid the pain of a heart attack further down the road. Formative discipline. This is a good thing. This is why we're called disciples. We're, we're those who are disciplined to live the way that Jesus calls us to live. But if we will not be formed in discipline, well, then there is corrective discipline. If you do not take on the formative discipline, you will then have to experience the, the pain, let's say, of the doctor coming to you and saying, your heart is in bad condition and your, your arteries are not doing well and you need to now, you're like, I'm putting you on this diet or I'm off giving you this medication. And now all of a sudden, it's this discomfort to help you learn to take on the lifestyle of discipline. And the Lord does that with those whom he, what does the author of Hebrews say? The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. If you're anything like me, when discomfort comes, you are tempted to say, God, why do you not like me? Or what is wrong? Or what did I do wrong? In fact, the scriptures consistently say the Lord will use corrective discipline in your life to get you back on the path of his blessing. 
Because if we will not practice formative discipline, and if we will not learn from corrective discipline, well, then the ultimate pain, the final pain, is the condemnation of judgment for a lifetime of persistent, hard-hearted rejection of the discipline of the Lord. There is a day of final judgment where it is just pain forevermore. Jesus, when he talks about it, says it's like a fire that never goes out. And we know that that's to be thought of maybe in an imaginative sort of way because Jesus also says it's like a darkness and fire and darkness and how those two things go together. I don't know. All that we know is there is a day that will come if we will not heed the discipline of the Lord, if we will not return to him, there is judgment. Jesus told us to think about hell as a way to motivate us towards godly living. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, it's better to cut off your hand or to gouge out your eye than to have your whole body thrown into hell. Jesus said, it'd be a lot better to embrace some pain right now, some discomfort right now, to get you off that pathway of judgment. So here's the third and the final point that I want to make, which is this. God's mercy will triumph for God's people. God's mercy will triumph for God's people. Because after the blessings and after the curses, there's still one more section of verses. Verse 40. But, oh man, how good is that? Just one little word right there. But when they confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their ancestors, when, when their unfaithfulness that they practiced against me, they're cheating on me, and how they acted with hostility towards me, if they'll just confess it, and how I acted with hostility towards them and brought them into the land of their enemies, and when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, when, when their hearts are cut, when that happens, and they, and they seek to make amends for their iniquity, well, then guess what? I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will also remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. Anytime in the Bible where you see something repeated like that over and over again, it means it's really important. God is saying, though you have forgotten the covenant, I will not forget my end of the bargain. I will remember the promises that I have made. For even the land abandoned them by making up for its Sabbaths, by lying desolate without the people while they make amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and abhorred my statues. Yet in spite of this, while they're in the land of their enemies, experiencing the consequences of their actions, I will not reject them. I will not abhor them so as to destroy them and break my covenant with them since I am Yahweh, their God. 
For their sake, I will remember the covenant with their fathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God because I'm Yahweh. Though my people wander, though they experience even at times serious consequences as a result of their actions, God says, those who truly belong to me, I will not forget. And God says, I will ultimately bring them out on the other side of judgment into the promised blessings by my own strength and by my own right hand. God will be faithful to his covenant. And friends, we know as followers of Jesus that everything in the book of Leviticus is just a signpost. It's just a, it's a shadow. It's a, it's a precursor to the ultimate covenant that is made through the blood of Jesus Christ. That Jesus experienced all of the curses of Leviticus 26 on the cross so that we might experience in him all of the blessings. That Jesus died on a cross in our place because every single one of us, like sheep, has gone astray. Every single one of us has wandered. Every single one of us has deviated from the path. Though he has been clear, though he has been gracious to give us his word and to give us his law, you and I blow it every day. Look around this room. Not a single one of us have stayed on the path as we ought to. Not a single one of us have lived out the covenant faithfulness that we are called to. But thanks be to God that there is now a new covenant that is written in the blood of Jesus Christ. And though we have strayed from the path, if we will be washed by his blood and receive his sacrificial death in our place, well then guess what? We get the blessings of heaven. How good is that? And how is it accessed? How is it accessed now? How is it accessed then? If my people will confess their iniquity. Jesus said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I'm not trying to throw stones, but there are a lot of churches you could go to that you could spend years at going to worship services and you'll never hear the dreaded R word, repent. Repent. Because for a lot of people, it feels like, oh, you're just trying to rub your nose in something or make you feel bad or make you feel guilty. Friends, I am telling you that confession and repentance are the key to unlocking the blessings of heaven in your life. You want to walk close with the Lord? You want to experience his covenant faithfulness in place of your own kind of wandering and wild-heartedness? Then confess and repent. Every week, in just a moment here, we're going we're gonna to gather around the table of the Lord. We're going to read that passage from 1 Corinthians. It says, here's a new covenant. It's written in my blood. And then Paul says, take a moment, examine yourself. What do you need to confess? What do you need to say? Lord, I have wandered far from the path. I am so sorry, Lord. And God says, I hear you. All the sacrifices that have ever been needed to be made have been made in the person of Jesus. Come in, eat, drink, receive my grace. How good is that, friends? And because of that, I'm, I'm getting excited. I'm about ready to start preaching. I'm, I'm about ready. I'm starting to get excited here. Buckle up. We're, we're going for round two here. Because of that, we are invited progressively nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer and nearer to God. 
So when we come to the table, it's, it's a way of drawing near to the Lord. When we, when we uh, go out into our homes and we go pray by ourselves, we're nearer and nearer to God. And one day, Leviticus 26 is going to happen Verses 11 and 12 is going to happen in our sight. Leviticus 26. Remember what it said? I will place my residence among you. I will place my residence among you. I will not reject you. I will walk among you. And what? I will be your God and you will be my people. Now, do you know how I know that this is going to happen? First of all, because Jesus rose from the dead, proving that everything he claimed was true. And second of all, because the Apostle John has a vision of the very end of the age when Jesus returns. And do you know what he quotes? Leviticus 26. John writes this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. Boy, that sounds familiar. John is quoting Leviticus. To say that a day is coming when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more and grief will be no more and crying will be no more and pain will be no more because all of the curses of Leviticus 26 have passed away and those who have trusted in Christ will experience ultimate closeness with him forever. Do you long for that day, church? Do you long for that day when freed from sinning, I'll see your lovely face as we sing full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing of your sovereign grace. When on this earth I breathe no more, that prayer that's been mixed with tears before, I'll sing on that joyful shore, Lord, thy will be done. This is what we have to look forward to. So whether in this life or the life to come, pleading with you, Follow the path. Obedience to the Lord, confession and repentance, and full access of his grace when you fall short. If there is anyone here in this room who has not received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I am pleading with you. Do not waste another day. Do not spend another day walking down a pathway that ends in judgment and destruction. Turn and run into the loving embrace of the Savior who wants you to be with him. And as we prepare our hearts to sing and as we prepare our hearts to eat and drink at the Lord's table, I invite those of you who are, by God's grace, believers, to put your eyes on eternity on that day when we see him face to face. Will you pray with me? Lord, this is heavy. Eternity is heavy. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are here today who have, by your grace, received salvation. Lord, would you help us to walk the pathway of life, not turning to the left or to the right. And Lord, when we stumble, when we falter, when we fail, would you give us hearts that are quick to repent and confess? and to receive your grace. And Lord, as we are eating and drinking around the table here in a moment, Lord, would you strengthen us for the work of sharing this message with those who have yet to hear. We want to worship you, be in your presence for all the days of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.